This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We know that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is hitting our economy with higher fuel and food prices. Well, it's also going to impact another industry that is or was on the point of recovery, travel. Just as so many of us were getting back to planning much anticipated trips and people in the industry were looking forward to getting back to work this hit. Granted, it's a first world problem with absolutely no comparison to what is happening to Ukrainians, but it is another factor delaying the recovery from COVID. I'd like to hear from you. Were you thinking of booking or making a trip to Europe? I was. I'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, and the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And of course, just yesterday, WestJet has announced that it will be acquiring Sunwing Vacations, another event that will affect competition. Right now, let's go to Marina Soul, the owner of Marina Soul Travel, and Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure. Uh, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Marina, uh, tell me your situation. Were you getting bookings coming in, and, and uh, how has this affected things? Yes. Uh, we actually are booking more than usual, but this was due to the lift of the, the restrictions of the COVID to travel. We do sell a lot of Europe, but mostly south of Europe, which is Portugal. And uh, the, the new situation with the war uh, is starting affecting a little bit. Some of the clients are questioning whether or not the war is going to affect the rest of Europe. But so far, has been okay. Okay. Uh, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, Martin, how does this affect travel insurance? Well, it's going to be really a big change. The funny thing is, not so funny, but two years prior, when there was no such thing called COVID, there was a clause in all the, in all the contracts that basically talked about a travel advisory. And a travel advisory was just this war, political unrest, or an unstable scenario with a government, etc. Really, when COVID came in and then the word travel advisory came out again, that became a, the new travel advisory world. So we're back now to something that's been around for years but usually just affected a single country. Now people have to be careful. If there is a travel advisory for Russia, Ukraine, or surrounding countries, that will affect your ability to get cancellation insurance and health insurance. Uh, so specifically, uh, it will nullify cancellation and health insurance? Absolutely. So uh, the advice has got to be to call. Firstly, check the government website and check the advisories. Let's see if there is a do not fly, avoid all travel, avoid non-essential travel to any of those areas. 
specifically the two countries in question, and but the bigger question is the surrounding areas. Will it ever spread to that? And if it does, you can't travel. You're not going to have travel insurance for medical or cancellation. Wow. Uh- Marina, have you given thought to, uh, let's say, a European perimeter? I mean, are people thinking, well, it's okay to go to Portugal, but not to any further? I mean, what countries, travel to what countries do you think will be affected? I, 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 I think and I believe will be only the surrounding countries because hopefully this war is not going to last too long. But uh, for now, I think it's too early to say anything. I only had today one call of a client that uh, asked me what happened if the spread for the rest uh, of Europe. But uh, I think at the same time, this came right after too many years of uh, lockdown where people are too anxious to travel and to get away. So I think most of the people... Uh, we do worry about the war. We will think about that. But uh, then on a, 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 a daily basis, people won't change their plans because of the war. They believe that, you know, it's not going to affect us. It's going to be right there where it is. And uh, only the prices of things are going to start rising very rapidly, actually, because we already started with the gas, right? And the planes also run with gas and therefore the prices are going to eventually go up. But rather than that, uh, like I said, I believe it's too early uh, for people to change their mind. Uh, I would think that prices are already up uh, because so many flights have been cancelled. Uh, I mean, aren't aren't fares higher than they would have been already? Yes. Yes, because now the demand is really, really high. I had a situation last week that I had to, an emergency situation to take two family members to Punta Cana from Toronto, and I had to, to sell in two different aircraft because, two different companies, because the flight was completely sold out, which was not normal at this time of the year. So the companies also, I think, took advantage of the situation, and they are, having absolutely crazy prices comparing to the previous years. So it's a combination of everything. Uh, can you give us an example? Like how much did a flight to Punta Cana cost? Flight only cost $1,200 when uh, sometimes you can get that as a package and uh, and no transfers to the hotel, no nothing. It was just a flight because uh, the mother of my passenger was admitted into a hospital and they wanted to be there. So they took the risk and they went without anything else. No hotel, no transfer, just a flight. Cost $1,200 for five days. Wow. And, uh, and uh, an average uh, decent uh, package would range about 24 to 2500 per person. And for the first time uh, in my business, I got people that they don't even question or, or argue about prices. They pay whatever. They say, you know what? I have been locked for three years. Just book. So prices keep going up and up and people don't care about the prices. Well, yeah, I can. Yeah. Um, 
Marty, has the price of insurance been going up? And do you anticipate that it will go up? I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, on the one hand, Marina is saying it's it's not really affecting travel plans, but there's just a poll and a majority of people think this war is actually going to spread. So I don't know how those things jive. Uh, Marty, uh, is the price of insurance going up just because we have a a world that is uh, less secure? No, because with insurance, at least you can put in parameters and protect yourself where the insurers can that they will not cover in the event of war. Fuel means nothing to insurance, needless to say, things like that. So the the, the beauty with insurance of anything, it's gone down now because, of course, you don't need COVID as a rider and there's no cap on the amount they'll cover. The, the COVID scenario we've got under control with these latest three announcements of what it is being reduced to with respect to uh, PCR tests no longer needed and 12 and under not having to quarantine. And so on the insurance side of things, everything's looking up. Unfortunately, though, you've got now the problem of those who want to go internationally this summer, as an example, that it is anything but that. I had calls yesterday from people about Croatia, and they're saying, well, what do you think? And I said, that could be problematic. Like, we we got to see what the next few weeks brings with respect to the war. But I'm worried terribly about trip cancellation. And then as an exclusion, if there's a war, that may not pay. Medical may not cover you. So there's some big concerns going on right now. Okay, let's take a call from Margaret in Thornhill. Hello, Margaret. Uh, good morning. Uh, how are you, dear, today? Uh, fine. Go ahead. You're on the air, Margaret, about travel. Thank you for having me. Um, I have been watching uh, the crisis in Ukraine, and it should never happen. But Putin is a very stubborn man, and uh, he doesn't only want to take one part of Ukraine, but all the other parts but then eventually he'll want to take Poland and Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia. Who knows? But we have to stop all this very soon. Uh, Margaret, are you planning to travel to Europe? No, I don't. Okay. Um, thank you, Margaret. Uh, so uh, I have to say this is for years. I have been wanting to take a family roots tour to Eastern Europe, and we're all busy and everything. My parents came from there, and they actually were in what was the Soviet Union during the war. And uh, I just had buy-in from one of my brothers like a week before the war started. So there you go. There is an example of travel that is not going to be happening. Um, Marina, I think there are other people... It's the same thing. And, you know, a lot of the places in Eastern Europe, they aren't so much kind of uh, holiday destinations. But you mentioned, uh, Marty mentioned Croatia. Croatia is. Cro- Croatia is a big uh, uh, place for for vacation. A lot of people like to go to Croatia. And I actually have any mourners to go to do that part of the world. They want to do uh, the Mediterranean and, and Croatian included in September, but uh, again, they haven't changed their plans. I actually did not think that Croatian could be uh, affected. Uh, if anything, I think for a while the travel is gonna is gonna increase, including with the refugees now that Canada for sure is gonna receive. I haven't 
heard the latest news about receiving the Ukrainian people, but I'm sure Canada will support and new immigration and those people will be will have to be transported into Canada. Uh, there was so, just uh, just to interrupt. There was just uh, an announcement this morning about increases and uh, people who are in the country can stay and people can come on a temporary basis without having to go through hoops and they can also work. So, uh, yes, Canada is certainly uh, intending like to support uh, the, the, the refugees now, that's, that's for sure. That's a very different kind of travel, though I guess yeah. they need to come on planes. Yeah, and also that we are increasing some volume. I just heard my colleague booking a, a, a lady to go to one of the country's neighbors, uh, Ukraine, to get her mother that was able to to run away, so a lot of people are going to look for travel to go and get their families um, to, to try to protect them here in, in Canada. Uh, so, and in terms of insurance, for my side, I increase my sales because we also sell insurance. Of course, we sell cancellation and health, uh, uh, COVID insurance, and with the COVID, we, we sold uh, for every package we sold to the Caribbeans, we sold the COVID-19 insurance as well. So for the insurance industry, it was also, I believe, a good a good thing because it was a new insurance that was in effect at least until the government said no no travel, no, no essential travel. But uh, like I said from the beginning, I believe it's too early for us to, to know what's going to happen. I hope this war is going to be very fast because it's killing too many people uh, wrongly. So, And that's in one to two weeks. This is all over. And that we, we can continue to live a normal life because we just finished one war and we're going to start another one. Well, yeah, it, it, it doesn't look uh, that way necessarily. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, Marty, can people who now are going to places like Poland, Moldova to look for or bring back their relatives, can they get insurance? Yeah, at this point they can. The key is if there is not a travel advisory, a level three or four to those countries, then there is no issue. The Fear, of course, is this is fluid. Like everything has been fluid in the last couple of years. Add this to it now. This one's just a whole different ballgame, as you said earlier. There's no doubt this is just a human tragedy situation. I, I also have to suggest I don't see this as being a one or two weeks. This, this is long. This is not going to be over in one or two weeks. And the fear of spreading is very imminent. So I really am advising international travel now, sadly, that you just got to hold tight. I cannot see putting out deposits followed up with further sums of money at this point until we get some kind of clarity on the whole thing. Hmm. Let me give the numbers out again. I would like to hear from you uh, if you were thinking of some international travel for the summer. It, it does the war, is the war putting a damper on it. Are you worried about doing that or are you going ahead? As Marina pointed out, there is a huge amount of pent-up demand of people who have cabin fever who uh, really, really want to get on with their plans. Marina was even saying for a lot of people is never mind the price. I've been stuck here for two years. 
so the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. Maybe you're like me and you were even thinking of going to that part of the world and um, maybe now that doesn't look like such a great idea. Uh, Marina, we haven't talked yet about the merger or the proposed merger, WestJet buying Sunwing, what impact do you think that will have? Uh, is is it going to make things more expensive? You know, we have less competition. Yes and no. We had uh, a previous merger, and uh, even last year or two years ago, Air Canada was supposed to do the same with Air Transat, and they end up not uh, completing the, the deal. But... Uh, yeah, uh, competition is always good, but I think that they are reasonable with the prices mm-hmm. because uh, they still have Air Canada as a competition and Air Transat. So I think it becomes a little stronger company because WestJet is uh, also a big and solid company and Sunwing is smaller and has uh, less planes. So I think it's going to help to to... To, to make the, the, the market stronger. I don't think the, it's going to affect the, the prices that much. Let's take a call from Tony in Etobicoke. Hello, Tony. Yeah, how you doing? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. Thank you. Listen, I've been hearing about this two weeks end of war. You know, Libby, that's impossible. You know that, and I know that. Uh, there's no way that Putin himself is going to stop the war and have himself embarrassed in what he's done. He's going to continue and continue. And I believe he wants Ukraine so the North Koreans can come in and use some of that land. Well, I don't I don't know about that, Tony. What about your travel plans? I want to go to Italy and I can't. Uh, because of the war, you're worried? No, it's not that I'm worried. I mean, you know, why go there when I'm here safe, you know? <laughs> I, uh, but, you know, but I, I'm just saying that Putin is not going to quit. And I don't, uh, there's another thing. I don't understand why the states don't help. What is it, NATO? Because of NATO? Because they don't belong to NATO? Is that the answer? Uh, yeah. Um, well, that's that's the reason that uh, the Western that NATO is not is not going to war over this. There's no Article Five. Uh, you know, Tony, Libby, I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, me go. I mean, this is what I don't understand why they don't go. They're giving billions of dollars of ammunitions for what? I mean, for what? Uh, they're going to lose. I'm sorry to say, they're going to lose. That, that, that Ukraine's going to belong to Russia within two months. Okay, Tony, thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> Ukraine is certainly outgunned. But there you go, Marina. Are you surprised to hear that? Somebody planning a trip to Italy, uh, now thinking maybe it's not such a great idea. Well, I, I I understand, and like I said, during the COVID time, I was on my street, which is at the art of the Portuguese community on Dundas, one of the only agencies open during the entire year that people stayed home. I came to the office every day, and I heard a lot of comments of people telling me, no way, I will never leave, uh, 
fly under these conditions because we're going to die, because it's going to happen this, this and that, or a bunch of, of fears because of the COVID. So it's very similar. I know it's a totally different situation, but very, very, very similar to this one in terms of fear. People were like very concerned about and other people saying to me i don't care i'm uh, i can cut covid either in canada or in portugal or in spain no matter where i go it depends on how on my behavior how i'm going to react or i'm going to uh ask and, and and behave in another way uh, in another words i i would ask why are the, the europeans and there's so much danger, and we and the Americans are not, because the war is war. Is the Russians, or I don't like to to talk about those things or discuss politics, and uh, I don't know, uh, but I don't think I, I am safer here than a person in south of uh, of Europe, because uh, if a person like Putin wants to reach us, he will find a way to do it. So. I, I I don't I, I didn't think about that perspective and I don't think my passengers have been as well. So we just think that uh, someone has to surrender sooner or later because we cannot keep uh, killing children and civilians the way it is happening right now. And things can change very drastically and in 24 hours. So I don't think this is going to be a long-term situation. The same way people did not uh, stop flying during COVID because if they had to go, they did. And uh, last year was quite a, a reasonable year taking in consideration the COVID. Uh, Martin, are you surprised to hear from somebody, you know, basically saying um, this situation, I'm not even going to Italy? No, I'm not at all. I myself am planning a trip this summer. And I've thought about whether I'm actually going to go, even though we're not saying it's even close to the affected area. It's just that general overall theme that's going on that's quite disturbing. And unlike COVID, there's no vaccine that's going to solve this problem, needless to say. So it, it's, it's worrisome. And depending on how it escalates, that's going to determine whether I personally am going to go or not. And at this point, I'm on hold. So I suspect I'm an example of what many people are going to be like right now. So that's something to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it really is. Um, it it's all very unsettling, and I guess for a lot of people, um, they're fed up and saying, "You know what? I'm doing it because who knows when I'll get another opportunity." That was my attitude with COVID because you could say I've had both shots. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm going to go, as you say, because life is short and you don't know the future. This is war. This is a whole different beast and one that I'm not so sure you can easily just slough it off and suggest that, you know, I have pent up demand and things like that. This one really has got to be well thought out before you make the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Marina, so uh, your main destination is Portugal? Yes. And and is it mostly uh, Portuguese people going? Or, I mean, I've had wonderful trips to Portugal. Yes. It's 80% of my clientele is Portuguese. And a lot of Portuguese, are, of course, are married with other citizenships, like in any, any from any part of the world. And those are the ones who are non-Portuguese that also travel to Portugal. But I do also 
a lot of Italy and talking about Italy. I just booked eight people, two families together to go to Italy uh, this July for a wedding and they just closed the deal this morning. So, uh, and they didn't even mention about, about uh, the war. So I don't think many people are, uh, I believe a lot of people are concerned, but uh, like I said, for the summer, people are still seeing that it's a little far, far away to be concerned. So summer we have been booking nonstop, and right now we're booking mostly the Caribbean. And since the world is is on the other side of the world, uh, has not affected uh, the plans of people traveling now in March break. March break is incredibly full. Full, and I don't think people are going to uh, cancel to fly. And with the COVID, the reaction was quite different. Everybody canceled everything as soon as we start hearing about the COVID. Even before we start, uh, uh, with, I believe it was March 12th, that uh, the government announced uh, the COVID situation in Canada. And I had cancellations before March 12th. People saying, no, I'm not going. I'm not taking a chance. Everybody's dying in Europe and this and this and that because everything started on the other side before it came to Canada. Okay, so, let's let's take a call from Marion in Martintown. Marion? Hello. Hi. I'm you're... a first-time caller. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Welcome. Thank you for calling. Thank you. My husband and I booked a trip to Cyprus in October 2019, which, of course, has been put off and put off. And so we, a couple of weeks ago, with our travel agent, we got everything finalized, ready to go to Cyprus for two weeks, and then heading to the UK, leaving here on the 20th of April. So we're a little concerned. We're certainly paying close attention to what is going on. Uh, yeah, um, and uh, Cyprus is is uh, not near that area, but it is in a part of the world that uh, can be unstable, that's for sure. That's correct. And, you know, we're just worried about traveling during that time if any, anything comes out. But at this point, we're very eager to get going because, like you were saying, we, we're anxious to get going after the lockdown. Um. Yeah, so, uh, and do you have all kinds of cancellation insurance? We do. At this point, up until now, anyway, we thought we had everything. We covered it with our travel agent to make sure that we're covered for the all the COVID issues. And, um, yes, we do have, as far as we know, we've got good travel insurance. So, Okay, thank you for your call, Marion, and uh, have a good trip. It's coming up soon enough. Thank you. So we're being positive. That's good. That's, okay. That's very good. Um, uh, so, uh, yes, back to it. Um, Marina Soul, so what would you like to leave us with on this? You're thinking, hoping that the war will be... Um, the war will be short. I mean, none of us know how it's going to turn out, but uh, what do you foresee happening in the business given this terrible situation? Well, my hope is that the war ends for the sake of of innocent people, but I believe that uh, uh, the fear of the people will will contribute to to more... uh, disaster in the world because it will affect again the economy, the the lives of many families in many other ways. So 
I think being uh, under this war, we have been like under a lot of other wars in recent years, and we did not stop leaving. Now, is this because this is Russian against uh, uh, Ukraine? What about the other ones? When when we, we had the problems with Syria, we had Iraq, we had all the other wars. Those countries are completely destroyed, and people kept traveling. Well, yeah, so, this is this is. Uh, I I hope you're right. This is considered the worst uh, the worst uh shake up to the world order since the second world war uh martin what's your take my take i was like doom and gloom 2 years ago because of overcapacity in hospitals and even though i'm in the business i advise people not to travel i finally get that out of the way and now i'm faced with the new dilemma of making suggestions internationally i have some real concerns for the next little while until we get some clarity so Bottom line, I think you got to check and see where the travel advisories are. You got to check what your trip cancellation will cover or won't cover. War, other things. You got to be very knowledgeable before you start putting out large sums of money. Okay, uh, that sounds like very good advice. Of course, we are hoping for the best on all fronts. Thank you so much, Martin Firestone and Maria Sol. Thank you for having Thank me. You. Okay, we very much. All the best. All the best. We are taking a break. We are frantically trying to reach some people in the war zone, and uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do that at this time. So uh, when we come back, it'll be a surprise. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, we are pivoting to the conservative leadership race. And late last night, we heard about the rules for the contest. And these are long-awaited rules because there are a number of people who've said they're thinking of jumping into the race, but it depends what the rules and conditions are. So here is how it's going to go. The election will be on Saturday, September the 10th. And uh, the rules for entry is are that candidates will have to provide a total entry fee of $200,000 in addition to a compliance deposit of 100000 which is refundable. And the deadline for membership applications, and this is important, is June the 3rd. So that means that they have until June the 3rd to recruit people who can vote for them. And I guess that is one of the biggest considerations. Right now, I would like to welcome John McCutishan of Bradgate Research. Hi, John. Happy to be with you. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. So uh, what what about these rules? Uh, some people are saying that it's a bit of a setback for the only officially declared candidate, Pierre Polyevre. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I wrote uh, an unsolicited letter to the uh, Leadership Organizing Committee and National Council because I've been involved in a few of these over the years. And uh, one of the things I said in that uh, letter was that 
Um, it doesn't matter what the rule is. It's going to advantage or disadvantage somebody. And that's just the reality of rules. Uh, but as long as they were guided by the desire to have an open, fair, transparent, uh, and democratic leadership process, that the party would be well served. And while uh, I know uh, Pierre's uh, uh, fiercest supporters are disappointed that the party hasn't uh, rigged the uh, process so that he's acclaimed and everybody else says no, um, you know, that's uh, that's. That's just the way it is, and uh, it's exciting because now no one has the excuse of not having time to sell memberships. So you know, we've got three months to sell memberships. We've got two and a half, three months on top of that to actually have a campaign where we have the uh, where, where we have the membership, right? So the people can the campaigns can campaign to the individual party members. And uh, we've got the cutoff. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, uh, April nineteenth. So six weeks from now, uh, when candidates have to have not all their money in the fee you mentioned, but the first piece of it, and uh, they must have qualified, right? So they'll have to have uh, submitted their nomination papers, some money, some uh, signatures, and have passed a uh, interview. One would think. So there's still a lot of the fine points that matter to arcane uh, activists like myself, but the broad strokes are there that uh, we've got an exciting leadership uh, contest coming up and that uh, no one will uh, be able to say that they couldn't run because it was fast and quick and disadvantageous. And so then that deadline, is that deadline what some of the people who are on the fence were waiting for? Or uh, what about uh, the money needed to enter? Um, so a couple things uh, on that. Uh, as far as the deadline, um, I, I think the majority of people that have been thinking about running um, uh, have been waiting to know that they could sell memberships because uh, the party uh, party memberships go up and down every year depending upon elections and nomination cycles. That's a regular thing. But uh, the theory is right now that of the less than 200,000 current party members, that those people would be have a preponderance to support Pierre, and that if there was a short membership time, nobody else could bring their own people, their own supporters. We couldn't open the party and grow the base. With a three-month period, uh, there's nobody who's interested who doesn't have the opportunity to broaden the base. So that's, that's the one big, uh, I think that's the single biggest thing that anybody could go and sell their case to Canadians, and if they don't sell enough memberships, it's because their message wasn't well received. The other one about the money, um, you know, that money is always one of these tricky things in politics, right? Like how much do you let people spend? Uh, how much do they need to spend? So um, it's a, uh, and, and I'm not sure that they've set yet, or at least it's public, what the, the maximum is. But if you want to be a candidate and in this thing for real, you're going to spend at least a million dollars. And um, uh, somebody who's seriously in contention is going to be is going to spend two to three million plus. So uh, if you don't think you can raise that money uh, before you enter the race, the smart person doesn't enter at all. 
Okay. Uh, just before we go, John, uh, do you think uh, Jean Charest was in Ottawa last night meeting caucus? Patrick Brown has been thinking about it. Michael Chong has been thinking about it. And Tasha Carradine have been thinking about it. If you were guessing, uh, which of those do you think will jump into the race? So we know Pierre is in because he's already said he's in. We, um, I'm told by all the people that uh, know Sheree well that he is absolutely 100% in. Uh, Patrick Brown, I know personally, was waiting to see the dates, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him to see how those uh, dates fit with his plan. But I would, I would know that uh, that lengthy membership pr- uh, process would be a good thing and, and uh, lead him towards that. I also think the longer period, um, you know, the, the ultimate vote is, or counting, the release of the results is September 10th. So I think that uh, with, a, with a, a period from June 3rd to, uh, to late August gives Tasha Kierden an absolutely awesome opportunity to get known by uh, the people who don't know her already. She's a fabulous person. So I think uh, there's a good chance that all of those people are in the race, plus a few more. Okay. We will be talking about this many times, I suspect. And thank you so much, John McAtitian. My pleasure. Thank you. And now we are going to check in with someone on the ground in Kiev. Andrei Kulikov is a radio host in the Ukrainian capital, and he joins me now. Hello, Andrei. Thank you so much Hello, for being Libby. with us. Hello. Hello. So uh, what is it like today? We saw these terrible explosions last night. Where are you and uh, how are you doing? Well, uh, frankly speaking, I'm rather close to the place uh, where explosions were last night. But then again, you may have different opinions on what is rather close. Um, At least I can tell you that uh, my windows shook yesterday and uh, that I'm now without central heating. But uh, in spite of the fact that there is some snow on the ground, I'm still warm and to speak figuratively i'm warm also because there is attention from canadians and from people in other countries let's see how long this will uh, help us survive i think that we have not yet reached the limit of our resilience and thank you for your help and for your attention Today, I spent three hours uh, on air because our uh, radio station is conducting a, what we call a radio marathon information, talking to people in different uh, parts of the country. And uh, then I went to fetch some water from, uh, I don't know even uh, if there's a, such a... Uh, uh, I don't know the English word for this, but there's a well, let's say a well, not far from where I live. And while I was going back and forth, there were more explosions. And uh, at the moment, I'm in my kitchen. Uh, blinds are down. Uh, window blinds are down. And uh, I'm talking to your radio, Radio Zoomer. Right? Yes, Zoomer Radio. Um, We are very disturbed to see this escalation of the war on civilians, escalating number of casualties. And there's that uh, 
terrifying and also weird sitting convoy right outside the city. Well, not right outside to be again, to be more precise. The convoy was approaching us for several days now. And uh, again, if you consider 20 kilometers away, uh, which is probably 12 to 14 miles, then this is right outside. We have uh, got used to Russians approaching. There were uh, fierce battles some three or four days ago. Uh, where they are now, and from uh, what I know, the battle is raging on even now. By the way, they have passed a small village where my country house is and where my kids used to live uh, even five days ago before they went to the west. And uh, I got photos from there because uh, two... Uh, private houses just uh, 150 to 20 to 200 meters from where our houses were hit today by shells. Oh no! One, yeah, one house was completely destroyed, and another uh, they only lost their sense. But of course, with all these fragments and shrapnel, it was dangerous for the people who remained there as well. What about? Food, water, supplies, uh, how in the city uh, do people have enough to eat? Uh, yes, uh, the biggest deficit now is cash. Not all the small uh, shops accept cards. So to use your card, you have to go to a supermarket. They Most of them are working. There's enough food. Uh, today we even had bread on sale for, I would say, for a week, uh, first first time for a week. But as far as other stuff is concerned, there's vegetables, there's pasta, there's water, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and, um, well, it, it is relatively safe to drink water from water pipe, you know, again, I don't know whether I use the correct English term. So in this respect, we are okay. Yesterday's explosions near the central railway station damaged the heating line for quite a portion of the city. But uh, gas is here, electricity is here. And uh, the reason why I am in the kitchen is also because it is obviously the warmest place in my flat, especially after I uh, boiled some water for coffee. So we, we, we manage so far, and I'm quite sure that we will uh, manage overall. We shall overcome. We certainly hope so. What is the feeling? Here we have people saying, some people say it will be over soon, some people don't expect that. What is your feeling on the ground there? Frankly, Libya, I'm in two minds. I'm in two minds because uh, the logic prompts that it has to be over soon. And um, the Russians obviously have not uh, expected to meet such resistance. And if they care about their own soldiers and their families, they should withdraw or at least stop uh, uh, where they are now. On the other hand, knowing the nature 
of the present Russian regime, and by the way, historically also, I think that they will continue to press on. And um, on the one hand, they uh, uh, may just may crush the Ukrainian resistance in some places, and they are doing this. In other places, we conduct successful counteroffensives. At any rate, if they even occupy a considerable part of the country, there is a strong tradition of partisan movement, guerrilla movement in Ukraine. So at any in any case, this won't be over soon. Unless, of course, and here I shudder to say this, Putin uses nuclear weapons. Oh, my God. Uh Andre, uh, what would you like to leave us here in Canada with? First of all, every thought and every word from Canada is a powerful uh, support for us. And of course, we know that Canada sends uh, weapons, defensive weapons, I read today, I uh, know oh this is about America, but for, uh, I mean uh, United States, but I know lots of people in Canada, mostly of Ukrainian, but not only of Ukrainian origin, who care uh, about us. And uh, I talk to my friends from the organization, uh, which is called Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. I talk to my friends in different uh, Canadian universities. I know that, for instance, the Ottawa Senators, the hockey club, uh, decided to start every their match with playing the Ukrainian anthem. This all helps. Uh, although some people might say, what does it help? Believe me, it does help. Um, I also had a money transfer from Canada. One of my friends sent me something like 300 Canadian dollars, which is not a bad sum for an individual in Ukraine. It's another thing that uh, uh, I have no difficulties in getting this money. But uh, if you want to help Ukrainians, find a trusted, uh, trustable public organization, charity fund in Canada. They have uh, a corresponding uh, relations in Ukraine, corresponding links, and they will prompt you how to better help Ukrainians at this moment. And of, of course, political support means a lot, so press your senator, press your representative, if I'm using the right terms, to press the government, although Canadian government has been one of the staunchest we, we, they are uh, totally on side on that. Andrei Kulikov, thank you so much for being with us. Stay safe, you, and uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. I sure hope so, too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We are going to take a very short break, and then we will be back with renowned photographer Ed Bertinsky. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now I'd like to welcome renowned photographer Ed Bertinsky, who has been offering his art, 
in the service of Ukraine. Ed, of course, is Ukrainian-Canadian. His parents came to Canada after being displaced by the Nazis during the Second World War and taken to work camps. His 98-year-old mother worked in Canada for Ukrainian liberation for years. Ed is giving a special print of a famous work to the first 30 people who show him a $10,000 receipt for a donation to the Red Cross's humanitarian relief for the country. Hi, Ed. Thanks for being with us. Great to be here, Libby. So uh, how many of those prints have you uh, given away? Well, uh, actually, we were oversold. So uh, we we put out, the, actually, uh, my wife and I, Julia, had the idea on Saturday afternoon, driving around Collingwood, we have a property up, 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 up a place that we stay up north. And uh, and then on, we drafted uh, together uh, an Instagram post and a Twitter post to say we're going to offer two prints, uh, 15 of, an addition of 15 of each, and to the first 30 people who donate, 10,000 to the Red Cross, and then the Canadian government was matching those funds, so that turned to 20. And we expected to work at it for the whole week and using my dealers and, and my client lists and all that of people who have purchased my work in the past, but we posted it on Sunday night at 8 o'clock, and on Monday morning at 10, we had to post, uh, uh, you know, please stop putting money into the Red Cross. We don't have any more prints left. So it was um, kind of uh, really surprising and really exciting to see the kind of outpouring and, and how I think people are so um, taken aback by, by what's happening in the Ukraine and, uh, and to see this level of funding, because uh, by the time it was all done and, and then we ended up having people just say, hey, um, I know there's no more prints left, but I'll put in 10,000. So we actually could, could count on about 600, $650,000, $700,000 that came in to the Red Cross in, in, in less than a day. And, and then the other corporations started to jump in as well. So, you know, we saw that TELUS jump in and RBC jump in. So, um, so it is really, really, uh, encouraging to have that kind of response to, such discouraging news of, of what's happening in Ukraine. Well, um, the, the government reached its matching limit of $10 million very quickly. And, uh, of course, your work is renowned. I mean, when we looked at it, I know my husband said to me, hey, well, you know, t- 10000 would be a bargain for any of Ed's work. Uh, it, it is, um, but uh, I'm, that, I'm sure part of the encouragement of doing that, and and I was happy to make this special edition. Um, and in in the special edition, there will be an inscription to you know to those and and to what the the print was for, uh, you know, for the the support of humanitarian efforts in, in in the Ukraine during this troubling time. So we're going to put a dedication on the label, so that'll go out into the world as well as um, a special edition for this particular moment in time. And um, and because I, in a way, have the, you know, over the last 40 years, I've been building a, a kind of an audience of my work and and I've had, you know, great, you know, great success with dealers over around the world. And so, um, you know, this platform has really allowed me to uh, put it to good use. And for the first time, I've actually used my own, you know, social media feed um, and my followings. Uh, and, and that's all that we did. We just posted on my existing social media feed and we fulfilled all the orders. We didn't have to go to uh, mail outs from my dealers or anything like that. So, it really, it really reminded me of the power of, of social media when put to the good. I mean, we often 
discuss the things that it can do that are negative, but boy, it can sure do some powerfully good things as well. Yeah. Um, tell me what this means to you. I'm sure you grew up with the stories from your parents. First of all, have you talked to your mother about this? Oh, yeah, I have. I have. Actually, it was hilarious because she thought I was giving, it was like I was writing a check and she says, I told you, Eddie, to only give $500. How can you give them $600,000? And I said, no, no, mom, I didn't give them that much money. It's okay. Um, but she was, she was afraid that I gave all my money away. Uh, and I assured her that it was just, uh, it, it was a whole, you know, complex um, set of, set of things that we did. But, but, uh, but she was so pleased because, um, again, she was the president of the Women's League in St. Catharines uh, for the freeing of Ukraine. So she did, you know, bake sales and pierogi sales for decades. I remember her at the hall with all the other women and making bake sales and then taking all the proceeds and sending them to Ukraine. So she's been a staunch advocate for the freeing of Ukraine and, um, and you know, and, and the head of that organization for a while in St. Catharines. So so in a way, I was just really following on her legacy of of uh, the work that she did, and and, and she was really pleased to to hear that. Although she still uh, kind of wishes that she didn't have to see this. I mean, she's in her you know final years of life, and and to see this has been very painful for her. And and what does it mean to you as a uh, I don't know if you're first or second generation, but yeah, I was born I was born um, in St. Catherine. So uh, about five years after my parents got here um, from from Germany, um, and uh, so I, I, it's in a funny way I've not been back. I've not been back to Ukraine. I've not been to Ukraine for all the countries I've been to. Ukraine. Uh, I almost got there a couple of years ago, but something intervened. And uh, so, um, but I know of, you know I was born and raised. My first language was Ukrainian. I still speak the language with my mother, um, and uh, it's always been you know part of my identity and not like when I came here I had no aunts and no uncles no grandparents no cousins nothing so in a way I, I you know I had Ukrainian heritage but I never had uh any kind of relationship with with family so it was just you know my parents and my brother and my sister and the other Ukrainians who also were displaced during the second world war who settled in St. Catherine so so that that was an interesting thing and and, and in a lot of ways I felt that because I didn't have that path, I got to invent myself, and I wasn't compared to you know you look you know you, you look like Uncle Fred or that's a behavior that you know uh, you know Jerry has or whatever in your family. It's I, I was you know uh, like uh, there were no comparisons. I just had to kind of figure my own way out, and uh, and it's amazing that I in, in Canada I was able to kind of you know go from um, you know working in St. Catharines at GM to saying I want to be an artist and coming to Toronto and studying and, and then finding a way to uh, make a living at, at selling my work. And, and so I feel absolutely uh, lucky and privileged to be living in this country where we're free to think and do what we want and, and we have our own agency. And uh, I understand completely the fight that the Ukrainians are because um, who wants to live under a, a regime where most of the money is being siphoned off into a uh, few hands and, and, um, you know, and free speech is suppressed and, um, you know, it, it's just why, how, who would, uh, who could blame Ukraine for wanting to uh, tack towards uh, a European way of life versus tacking towards a Russian way of life in a way. 
because uh, you know they're <laughs> it's it's not it's not aspirational in a way, and, and I can un- understand the fight to want to keep their freedom and their way of life. And uh, their leadership and their resolve is is really remarkable. Ed Bertinsky, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, we'll talk again. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. We are over time. Free for All Friday is coming up tomorrow, and uh, we can talk about all the things that you heard here today. That's all the time we have. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.